What a wonderful morning to worship God. So grateful for everybody being here this morning. So grateful as I look out and see that we have several guests and visitors with us. We want you to know that it is our honor and pleasure to have you amongst us this morning. For those of you who know me, you probably are not going to find this next statement overly surprising. <clears throat> but I love those little thought-provoking one-liners, those little signs and slogans and thought-provoking little zingers. I once saw a cup inscribed with the words, if things get better with age, then I'm approaching magnificent. I saw another sign that said, if prices keep falling at Walmart, how come nothing is free yet? And the one that's probably one of my favorites, if we were not, yeah, I can say this, if we were not meant to have a midnight snack, then why is there a light in the refrigerator? <laughs> one of the neighborhoods where I previously lived while preaching for another congregation, I saw a sign big sign in the back window of a car that read, I fight what you fear. I fight what you fear. And I wasn't sure exactly, necessarily, what that meant at the time. But you know, as I got to thinking about it and turning it over in my mind, it's probably true. But perhaps, like so many things we see or say or do, maybe it's true, probably it was true in a, in a lot different way than what the owner of that vehicle intended. You see, if that person truly fights what I fear, then like the impenitent robber in Luke 23, 39 through 41, like the council members in Acts chapter five, verses 33 through 39, then they fight God, because I fear him. I fear God. King Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all, or this is the whole duty of man, depending on your translation. But that statement in that window sticker brings up kind of a kind of a an interesting question that we're going to consider with the next three lessons it serves as the subject of today's two as well as next Sunday morning's concluding sermon and that statement is this what do you fear you see Christians are taught and told by their Lord that we don't have to fear we're told that. We're told time and again that we do not have to fear. We don't need to. But yet, so often in our frail, feeble, fallen humanity, we often fail and fall to fear anyway. What do you fear? What do you fear when you sit in the doctor's office waiting? What do you fear when it comes to the future? What do you fear when the budget's being cut? 
What do you fear when those you want to reach with the word are plotting and scheming and talking behind your back? What do you fear when the bottom falls out of your life and your world is turned upside down? What do you fear when it's just you in the darkness? Whatever your answer to any of those questions is, this morning I want to encourage you and I want to strengthen you and I want to refocus you on the incredible love and strength and power of the Lord our God and how we need not fear any earthly thing, any earthly thing, as long as we walk with our heavenly sibling. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 10 through 18. So what are some of the things that Christians should fail to fear, but often fall to fear on? What are some of those things? Well, sometimes when there's a bad economy or financial circumstance or conflict or loss financially that we are about to incur, we, we fear whether or not we're going to be able to feed and clothe our families. The Lord says we don't have to fear that. The Lord says that we don't have to fear that as long as we keep our priorities right and seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all these things will be taken care of by our Heavenly Father, Matthew 6, 19 through 34. It's hard sometimes to do that, and I understand that. It was probably, let me do the math, uh, about 15 years ago. I was driving tractor trailer to the state of Maine. I was making really good money, worked for one of the best pan outfits in the state. The equipment was fantastic, job was good, money was good. And we wondered how, if I went into the pulpit, we were going to be able to do it. You see, when you, when you stop working in a secular job, you stop paying 7.5% Social Security, and you pay 15% when you're self-employed. We had good health benefits, had good health insurance, and when you become self-employed, you have to pay your own health insurance. We all know about the prices of health insurance. Add to the fact that my pay cut was going to be well over $200 a week gross to go into the pulpit from what I was making driving a truck, and then take out the extra, and you can see why that would be very concerning. But we, through a series of events and prayer and all of those things, decided to trust God. Quit that job that I'd worked at for quite a while, had a lot of seniority. You know what? God's taking care of us. God's taking, don't know, sometimes Karen's looked at the checkbook and said, I have no idea how we're doing this over those years. We'll both die and smile and go, But when it seemed like we couldn't make ends meet and put the kingdom first, God took care of it. I don't say that to boast on us at all, but I say that to boast on God. God says, seek first the kingdom and I'll take care of the rest. Other things we fear. 
I did a survey in a previous congregation where I preached and I asked them to list the things that people fear when it comes to personal evangelism and this is some of the responses that I got. Some of the fears we have when it comes to personal evangelism. Lack of courage, lack of knowledge, fear of rejection, not being bold enough and being afraid of making people mad and losing friends. And as we consider SOS in 2019, I think some of those are legitimate fears why sometimes we are at least hesitant. Fear of rejection, afraid of people getting mad, afraid of losing friends. I think sometimes we don't speak up for the Lord in those situations because we fear repercussions. We do fear the responses and the reproaches of men and what they're going to say and do to us and about us. And you know, sadly, sometimes that even comes from our own families. But the Lord says repeatedly, don't fear that. Don't fear man's responses. And God reminds us that the only thing that we have to fear in those circumstances is his response if we don't have the faith and the courage to move forward and do what he's told us to do. You know, when the Israelites were getting ready to go through the Red Sea, God said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people to go forward. God was ready to do what God does. God was ready to deliver them. The problem was people weren't ready to move and go do what God told them to. God was ready as soon as they moved. Why do you cry out to me tell the people to go forward? God reminds us that we need not fear people. We need not fear talking to them about him. We need not fear those repercussions to talk to people about those things that we learn from God's word. We need to fear God if we don't. Open with me this morning to Matthew chapter 10. Look what it says. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24 and following. Jesus laid it right out there. He made it just as clear as it could be. He said, yeah, there's going to be some struggles. Yep. But he says, don't fear them. Matthew chapter 10, verse 24. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? You know, we say we want to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Jesus was hated. Jesus was not liked for the message that he brought. But look what he says, verse 26. Therefore, do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach it on the housetops. What's he saying? Climb up to the tallest spot you can and let everybody with an earshot know what you've heard. Don't be afraid to do that. Let them know. Let them know what I have told you. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The idea is, is we need to have a healthy fear of God, not of the people he's told us to talk to. He'll take care of that. You know, this idea isn't something new or new to the New Testament. Turn to me to Psalm 64. Psalm 64. This one kind of extends out that idea. It's certainly not 
just relative to talking to people and trying to evangelize, but people in general who are hostile to who we are and why we are who we are. Psalm 64, look what it says. Hear my voice, O God, in my meditation. Preserve my life from fear of the enemies. Notice what he says right there. He doesn't just say preserve my life. He says preserve my life from fear of the enemy. Don't let me fear them. That sets the tone for the rest of this psalm. Don't let me fear them. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the rebellion of the workers of iniquity who sharpen their tongue like a sword and bend their bows to shoot their arrows. Bitter words, bitter words. He said, they're coming at me. Help me not to fear those. They have these bitter words, verse 4, that they may shoot in secret at the blameless. Suddenly they shoot at him and do not fear. They encourage themselves in an evil matter. They talk of laying snares secretly. They say, who will see them? They devise iniquities. We have perfected a shrewd scheme. Both the inward thought and the heart of man are deep. But he says, don't let me fear that. And notice what he goes on to say. If I may paraphrase, he says, I don't have to fear them. But God shall shoot at them with an arrow, verse 7. Suddenly they shall be wounded. So he will make them stumble over their own tongue. All who see them shall flee away. All men shall fear. Do you see the contrast? He said, don't let me fear them. He said, God will take care of them. And everybody else will fear God. All men shall fear and shall declare the work of God. For they shall wisely consider his doing. You see how it switched from him being the one being afraid of his enemies to his enemies being afraid because of God. He said, I don't have to fear. Look how he wraps this up in verse 10. He says, the righteous shall be glad. Notice this is David, the man after God's own heart that's writing this. He starts out talking about, don't let me fear them. And at the end, he concludes, he doesn't have to fear. He says, the righteous shall be glad in the Lord and trust in him and all the upright in heart shall glory. They'll be glad instead of fear. That's what we're to have is gladness, victory, not fearing men nor the reproach of men. Look with me in Psalm 56. Look in Psalm 56. Please notice if you have a little heading there, I know it's not divinely inspired, but a lot of translations will seek to put a little heading above the Psalms to tell you exactly what was going on at the time the Psalm was written. And it is believed that this one was written when the Philistines captured David in Gath. His enemies had captured him. Now, if your enemies captured you in those days, you would normally be fearful, be afraid. But beginning at verse 3, look what David says. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. Isn't that a beautiful statement? Simple perfect, complete, whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings. Put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? David's struggling. 
He's struggling. He says, when I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. Isn't that a beautiful statement? He starts out with, whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. And he says then, he said, God is for me. Verse 9, verse 10, in God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. Do you think David loved the word of God? Do you think he got strength and comfort and learned not to fear through the word of God? He says again, in God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Man can take our life, can't they? Sure. Can't take, our, can't take our life and soul, can they? That's taken care of, isn't it? He said, I don't need to fear. If I trust in God, I don't need to fear. And, and you know, this whole phraseology here, where it talks about, in God I put my trust, I will not be afraid, what can man do to me? Do you know how often that occurs in the scriptures? That is, that is a beautiful thread that is wound throughout the scriptures. Listen to a few of these. In Psalm 118, Verses four through six, it says, let those who fear the Lord now say his mercy endures forever. I called on the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now I realize there's a lot of people in this world that think the Lord is on their side. I realize battles have been fought and blood's been shed. People all claiming God is on their side. There's a real easy way to know whether or not God's on your side. It's real simple. Are you standing with God in what his word says? Are you humbling yourself? Are you, are you under God's sovereignty and control? Do you live for God every day? Because you see, God is on our side when we are behind him because literally we're on his side. That's the way that works. In Hebrews 13, verses 5 through 8, it says this, New Testament let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never. Never is a strong word, isn't it? Have you ever said, I will never do something and 20 minutes or 20 years later you do it? Circumstances change, situations change. You say, I would never. But you get older, you see things different. Situation changes, and all of a sudden one day you wake up and say, oops, it was a day way back when, when I was just a young guy, that I said I would never do that, and here I am doing it. But God doesn't work that way. God who operates above time, God says, Hebrews 13, 5 through 8, I will never leave you nor forsake you. When God says that, he doesn't change it. He says, I won't do it. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What does it mean that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever? It means he doesn't change. It means he doesn't change his mind. It's, it means that if God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, he won't. Now we can leave him, we can abandon him, we can fall away from him, that's a different story. But as long as we're willing to walk with him, he will never leave us, nor forsake us. That phrase, 
regarding us not needing to fear the repercussions of men applies to several other situations as well. Sometimes we're tempted to fear, but God says don't. Don't, you don't have to. Sometimes we fear the oppression of the rich and powerful if they gain high office in our land. If they gain more power, we fear their oppression at times, but God says you don't have to do that. Go home this afternoon and read the 49th Psalm. Addresses that situation very well. Sometimes we fear people's insults. We fear people's snares and traps and reproaches when we seek to live the truth, when we seek to, to live what God's word says. And we're, we're strangers and aliens and we're so different from everybody around us, but, but we're gonna do it right for the sake of God. Sometimes we wonder what other people are gonna say and how they're gonna look at us. You know what God says? He says you don't need to fear them either. Look at Isaiah 51. And again, with this variety of different books and texts, we can see that this is a thread throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 51, I love this. You know, especially for some of our younger folks in junior high, middle school, high school, college, sometimes, because we all want friends and we all want all these people to like us, sometimes we really fear doing the right thing and it's easy to get caught up in the whole peer pressure thing and go along with what everybody else is doing because we're afraid of their insults or losing friends or what they'll say and God says you don't have to worry about that, folks. Look at Isaiah 51, verses 7 through 13. He says, listen to me, you who know righteousness, you people in whose heart is my law. Do not fear the reproach of men, nor be afraid of their insults. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, the worm will eat them like wool, but my righteousness will be forever and my salvation from generation to generation. He said, if you're doing what's right, he said, my righteousness is gonna last forever. You don't have to worry about all this momentary stuff. He goes on in verse nine to say, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days and the generations of old. Are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Aren't you the one who dried up the sea? Look, look at the power. He's saying, God, your power is limitless. Your power is eternal. Your power is going to outlast all the insults and all the things people say. Are you not the one who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep that made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over? So the ransomed of the Lord shall return. They shall come to Zion with singing. With everlasting joy on their heads, they'll obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing will flee away. What does verse 11 mean? Verse 11 means if we stand in there with God and we do the right thing, that we're going to know joy and gladness. All that other stuff's going to flee away. All of the persecutions are going to flee away. But we are going to be joyful. We're going to have this inexpressible and everlasting joy. And look what he says in verse 12. He follows that up. He says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. God says, I, I'll comfort you when you do the right thing. Who are you that you should be afraid of a man who will die and of the son of man who will be made like grass? Don't you love that? 
Isaiah is just told how powerful God is, how his righteousness is from everlasting to everlasting, how, how eternal and powerful God is. And he says, so listen, why should you be afraid of a man that's not going to be here tomorrow, basically? Why should you be afraid of a man whose life is a vapor? Why should you be afraid of a man that has absolutely no power whatsoever when compared to God? God says, I will comfort you. Don't be afraid of them. My power is much stronger than theirs. Don't forget the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens, verse 13, and laid the foundations of the earth. You are feared continually every day because of the oppressor when he is prepared to destroy. And where's the fury of the oppressor? He said, you feared the oppressor, you feared man. <coughs> feared that he's ready to destroy, that he's ready to cause harm. And he says, oh, by the way, where is he? Where'd he go? God says, I got him outlasted. Don't worry about it. Do not fear. You don't have to. Because see, the fact is that we can become so consumed with fear, so consumed with the fear of what some folks might say that we let it control us, that we let it overshadow us, that we let it overtake us, that we let it make us. You know, fear can make us forget or neglect the peace and the comfort and the joy and the security that we're supposed to have as children of the living God. Aren't we supposed to have lives of joy and peace as children of God? That's what he said. We let fear get in there and we let it lock us up and we let it neutralize and squeeze us down so that we don't have that joy, we don't have that security, we don't have that comfort, or at least we don't live it. Such all-consuming fear, if we let it get out of hand, fear of men, you know what it causes us to do? It often isolates us. It often neutralizes us. It often prohibits the Christian's ongoing mission of joyfully and effectively spreading the gospel. We get so afraid of what people are going to say or do that we just shut up. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. Is that true? It's scripture. It's got to be true. Take a look at me in John 20. I want to show you what Jesus does for us. Why he says, you don't have to fear. You don't. In John chapter 20, verse 19, it's Sunday night. The disciples have seen Jesus crucified. And they've seen him buried in the tomb. They know he's dead. And so they in fear for their own lives or behind locked doors, cringing in fear as it were. Hey, if they took out Jesus, they can take us out as well. Peter's denied even knowing Jesus, denied him with a curse, denied him repeatedly because he didn't want his neck in a noose as it were, or worse yet, his body on a cross. They were scared. They were in fear. In John 20, verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Peace. Not fear. Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, where he'd gotten a spear. 
Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you as the Father sent me, I also sent you. Look at what's going on here. They start out in fear and isolation. Fear and isolation. But Jesus comes into their midst, and what happens? Peace and gladness. And then, and then, after peace and gladness, replace fear and isolation, what does Jesus do? He sends them back out into the very world where those people were that they feared. Doesn't he? He sent them out. That applies to today. And it applies somewhere else, and I, and I need to say this, because fear paralyzes, you know, it's the deer in the headlights thing. You know, some of those deer that turn around, and there's a lot of deer around right now, we found out too, but is those deer turn around and they, they look at your headlights and they're frozen, you know, they'd be a lot better off if they'd just keep on getting out of the road, wouldn't they? But they look you right there in the headlights and they freeze up and you see their carcasses on the side of the highway, especially if it's a tractor trailer's headlights. Fear neutralizes, fear freezes us. Fear causes us not to want to move. And I gotta say this, we as Christians need not let some godless sinner with a gun who opens fire on innocent people at a church, a show, a strip mall, or a sporting event cause us to live in paralyzed fear and trembling instead of faith and trusting. Now, let me quantify that. I'm not talking about the fact that we should be unobservant. I'm not talking about the fact that we should be unprepared. We should be both observant and we should be prepared, okay? I'm not talking about testing God unnecessarily or foolishly. That is not what I am talking about, not whatsoever. But what I am talking about is not letting fear take over so far. I have seen Christians where fear has taken over so far that they don't hardly dare to move. They don't dare to talk to anybody. They don't dare to make their next move. Folks, Jesus does not want us to live in that kind of isolating, neutralizing fear. He doesn't. And he said so again and again and again and again and again. For example, I'm not going to turn there, but in Numbers 13 and 14, you have the story of the 12 spies that were sent into Canaan. You remember the story very well, I'm sure. When they came back, these 12 spies, Joshua and Caleb basically told God's people in Numbers 14 and verse 9, basically told them that the fear of the Canaanites so much that it caused them to become neutralized in their mission. If they were going to fear the Canaanites so much that it neutralized them in their mission, then what they were really doing was rebelling against the promises of God because they had no faith in God's promise, providence, or protection. What did, what did they say? They said, we can do this. Joshua and Caleb, we can do this. God's with us. We can do this. But fear, fear neutralized those people. And fear, in this case, was a lack of trust in the power and protection and providence of God. We can all let fear neutralize us. And that brings us to the final set of circumstances I want to discuss this morning in which sometimes we are tempted to fear. And we don't need to. 
We're tempted to fear, and, and we will in this circumstance fear if we walk by sight and not by faith. And that's this. Our faith is often put to the test. Sometimes in life, the bottom falls out. It does. We know it. There's a lot of us sitting here who, who you're thinking, and I can see it. Sometimes when life, the bottom falls out, when the seemingly impossible happens, when you wake up one morning and all of a sudden the obstacles are just so absolutely overwhelming, the circumstances are so overwhelming, it seems like everything is lost, it seems like I cannot do this anymore, I cannot win, I cannot overcome this, God. What do you do then? What do you do then? We had that very situation in 2 Chronicles 20. Please turn there. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Begin in verse 1. Following along, will you please? I'm going to read fast, so follow along. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1, It happened after this that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Jedi. Notice, verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord. When the bottom falls out when it is overwhelming. Set yourself. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I've already sought the Lord. Yeah, I understand that. But set yourself to seek the Lord with everything you've got. That's what he does. He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. He's taking this real serious, okay? So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord, and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. Now, were these already God's people? Yes. But they needed to seek in a stronger, deeper, heavier, more intense way than they had been. They were already God's people. That's why I say, we can say, well, I'm a Christian. Well, okay, good. When the bottom falls out, you need to go after God with everything you got. That's what they did. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem, the house of the Lord, before the new court, and he said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Aren't you our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they dwelt in it and it built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, If disaster comes on us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence for your name is in this temple, and we'll cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and say, first thing he does is says, God, you've got all power. I know you've got this. I know you can fix this. I know you control this. It doesn't matter what I see. I know you're God. And we are going to seek you with every fiber of our being because we know who you are. We know what you're capable of. And now, verse 10, are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt? But they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out 
of your possession which you have given us to inherit. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Now listen, he's told how great God is, but look what he says here, for we have no power. Have you ever just wanted to say to God, I can't do this. I don't have the strength to win this one, God. But you do. You do, and I know you do. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm here, God. We have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Have you ever said to God, I just don't know what you want me to do, God? I, I can't, I don't have the strength, and I don't even know what's up here. But our eyes are upon you. Now all Judah, with their little ones, their wives, and their children, stood before the Lord. They weren't sitting on comfortable pews. They stood before the Lord. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen. All you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. They will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the brook where the wilderness, before the wilderness of Jeruel. You'll not need to fight in this battle. Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. He reminded them that God was with them. Listen, if you are a child of the living God and God is your father, then he'll walk with you through whatever it is. And he reminds them of that. He says, God's not going to abandon you here. Therefore, do not fear. Second time he says that, or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. Sometimes we forget the Lord is with us, or we think, I've sinned, and surely, listen, Jesus died for your sins. If you're walking in the light and you're confessing your sins, he's forgiven your sins, and he's still walking with you. Listen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not perfect. Abraham was not perfect. David was not perfect. Peter, surely, was not perfect. But God walked with them, didn't he? Because when they messed up, they were humble enough to ask God's help. Jesus had the angel tell the ladies at the tomb that morning, go tell my disciples and Peter. And Peter. He wanted Peter to, yeah, Peter, you've denied me. You've denied me with a curse. Yeah, Peter. But you know what? I've still got a place for you, Peter, because you went outside and went bitterly, and I know that broke your heart, and you want to do the right thing. Even though you messed up, i still got a place for you, Peter. He still wanted Peter with him. Go tell my disciples and Peter. We need to understand that if we're walking with God, if we're doing our best to do what God wants and hold his hand and cling to him, that 
He is with us, and if he is with us, we do not need to fear or be dismayed, even in a terrible circumstance like that. That's what the Bible says. I'm not going to turn there, but let me just give you one more example. In 2 Kings chapter 6, Elijah, the king of Syria, is after him, and they surround the place where Elijah and his servant is, and his Eli Elijah's servant comes out early in the morning, and he sees all, all of the enemy all around him, and he's, he's thinking how terrible it is, and he fears. And Elijah comes out, and he prays, and he says, God, open my servant's eyes that he may understand there are more with us than with them. There's more with us than are with them. You don't have to fear. When the bottom absolutely falls out and the seemingly impossible happens overnight, when the situation is so bad it seems like everything in our lives is caving in on us, instead of giving in to fear, there is a psalm that we need to emblazon the first two verses on our hard drive. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. One of my very, very favorite psalms. Listen to this. Emblazon it on your hard drive for when the bottom falls out. God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. I love that psalm. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the depths of the sea. If the Rocky Mountains are all of a sudden plucked out of the middle of America and dropped in the middle of the Pacific and the water comes up 80 feet, I don't have to fear. Psalm 46, verses 1 and 2. You know, verse 10 of that same psalm says, Be still and know that I am God. You don't have to fear. I want to close with the words of Psalm 31, beginning at verse 9. I want you to take these words home with you this afternoon. I want you to dwell on these words. And I really would love to have you back here at 6 o'clock tonight. We're going to talk about some of the fears that older saints have, that the silver-haired saints have, and that all of us may have about death. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. And God says, you don't need to fear that. But for now, I want to close again with the words of Psalm 31, beginning at verse 9. Just a few quick selections. Watch this. Another Psalm of David, verse 9. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I'm in trouble. My eye wastes away with grief, yes, my soul and my body. My life is spent with grief. David is hurting. And my years with sighing, my strength fails because of my iniquity. My bones waste away. I am a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. I am repulsive to my acquaintances. Those who see me outside flee from me. I am forgotten like a dead man. And nobody even cares to remember who I am. Nobody even remembers me. Out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. Don't raise your hands, don't nod. Have you ever been there? I'm a broken vessel. I am completely busted. 
For I hear the slander of many. Look at this. Fear is on every side. While they take counsel together against me, they scheme to take away my life. On top of everything else, all of these things are closing in. There's this terrible fear that is seizing his heart, that is gripping him. But David knows how to get away from it. David knows how to fear not. Do you see the next verse? But as for me, I trust in you, O Lord. I say you are my God. My times are in your hand. Isn't that a beautiful passage? My time's not in their hand. My time's in your hand. Move on down to verses 19 and 20. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. See, it is God we are to fear, nobody else. Which you have prepared for those who trust in you in the presence of the sons of men. You shall hide them in your secret place of your presence from the plots of men. You shall keep them secretly in a pavilion from the strife of tongues. He said, God's got this taken care of. All of that problem that I'm experiencing, God's got it. And finally, verses 23 and 4, an admonition for all of us to close with and to take home today is the epilogue of this sermon. David encourages us. Look what he says. Oh, love the Lord, all you his saints, for the Lord preserves the faithful and fully repays the proud person. Remember those first few verses we read, 9 through 15, all of those strifes and struggles and people that were coming against him? He says, you know what? Long as I'm faithful, the Lord will preserve me and he'll repay the proud person. And therefore he admonishes and encourages us all, be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart, all you who hope in the Lord. If you hope in the Lord this morning, if he is your hope, you need not fear. The conclusion of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. If you do that, you need fear nothing else. If you're here this morning and you have come to the point in understanding how much God loves you, how much God wants to give you strength and victory and life and eternity and hope and joy and gladness, that is something that God came in the flesh and died on this earth, on a cross, to provide you. Because you see, all of that joy and gladness can only come if we're in Christ, if we're in God's presence. But we can't be in God's presence in our sins. We've got to get rid of those sins. And the only way we can do that is to have those sins washed away, to have those sins forgiven by God. And the Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 exactly how to do that. Tells us we need to repent, that is, change our mind, change our heart, turn it toward God. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter goes on to say that the promise is for them and all their children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, meaning for all people in all generations, this promise stands. God will never change it, it stands. Goes on to tell us that those that he continued to encourage them to be saved from that perverse generation. And so that day, 3,000 of them decided to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, to be baptized into Christ where all those blessings are, where that peace is, where that freedom from fear is, where that security and that joy and that gladness is. 
Does that sound like something you want? If it does, and you'll be baptized into Christ, we'd love to do that this morning. Just a moment as we stand and sing, you can come to the front and we can do that. If you'd like a Bible study, there's a lot of souls in this church building that would love to study it further with you if that's something you'd like to do. Straight out of God's word, book, chapter, and verse. But if you've already done that, you need the prayers of the church for strengthening so that you will have less fear and more joy. If there's any way we can help this morning, please. It's not that far from the back of the building down this middle aisle. If there's any way we can help you to have less fear and more joy in Christ Jesus, will you please come to the front as we stand?